sure. This is the I'm So Sure podcast. I'm Scott. I'm Kevin. And this week's episode is all about the Bee Gees. That's right. We'll be staying alive. (laughs) Hopefully. Uh, Apparently, a few weeks ago, I made some reference to the Bee Gees. Scott, you said something about them. And then I said, well, I like them, too. But that's not something that you talk about. But we are here to we, talk about it. The time is right to go We're gonna do full, a whole deep dive into the Bee Gees. Episode of every song they've ever recorded. Yep, we're going to play every single song they've ever recorded. No, we're not. Well, we should start from the beginning. They were born in England, and then they moved to Australia. And then I think when they got a little bit older, they moved back to England and they had been performing since they were very small children. Yes. And they started having hits in the 60s. And since then, they've sold more than 220 million records worldwide, which makes them one of the world's best selling artists of all time. They were inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in 1997. Which I wish that meant more than it did. There's so many groups that should be in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame that aren't. Yes, like Prince and the Revolution. And the Go-Go's. And and Duran Duran. Vanity Six. Yeah, well, they're more deserving than some of the groups that are in there. And Depeche Mode. Let me tell you. Yeah, so. We could just go on and on. On and on and on. It's kind of ridiculous, the, the groups that aren't in it. But it's pretty miraculous that... They threw the Bee Gees a bone. That's true, because they frequently get dismissed as being nothing more than a disco band. And the fact is, they were around long before disco, and then they've you know thrived after disco and kept well, on going. I think they were unfairly lumped into the disco craze because of the hits they had from Saturday Night Fever. But actually, those hits kind of came at the end. Of disco. Right. And it was because of them being lumped in to disco that their hits kind of dried up in America because DJs stopped playing disco. There was like a huge backlash. Oh, I remember they would like burn records and, and cassettes of disco albums and had disco sucks bumper stickers and yeah. um, and buttons and crap like that. And then I was, you know, like 10 years old at the time. I was like, this is the best. I love disco. Yeah, music. It was just, it was so stupid. And the Bee Gees, when you like, look at all the hits that they've had and the amount of records that they have sold. Um, I mean, it's just like, come on. They're so unfairly judged. They've, they've only been outsold by Elvis Presley, the Beatles, Michael Jackson, Garth Brooks, Ugh. and Paul McCartney. You know what's funny about Garth Brooks? I can't name one Garth Brooks song. I can. That song called uh, And the Thunder Rolls. I know the only reason I know that is because there's a preposterous music video for it where he plays like an abusive husband in it. I just, I've, I've, I've sold lots of Garth Brooks CDs 
during my record store days, but I just, we never played it in the store and I just never understood the, the big hoopla over him. But I'd take Charlie Rich any day over. Or Charlie Pride. Yeah. I mean, just. Or George Jones. Or Conway Twitty. Of course, Conway Twitty. Or Mel Tillis. Conway Twitty is awesome. Yeah, he was awesome. Mel Tillis. Mel Tillis. What, he, wasn't he the stutterer? Yes. We should save all this for our country music episode. Are we having a country no, We're going to have a Dolly Parton episode coming up later this summer. Well. And but actually, Dolly Parton has a connection to the Bee Gees that we will talk about a little bit later. But right now, let's play one of their songs, one of their biggest songs, from the Saturday Night Fever soundtrack, which is one of the biggest selling albums of all time. No Bee Gees music retrospective would be complete without Staying Alive. And here it is. I hear that song now, I don't think of Tony Manero, you know, John Travolta's character, or I don't even think about the movie Staying Alive. I think about Romy and Michelle because they dance to a remix version of Staying Alive in their movie. Well, I've seen Romy and Michelle a zillion times, so that's why I think of it. I've watched Saturday Night uh, Fever more in the last couple of years since I got it on Blu-ray than I ever saw it back at the time. I only saw Saturday Night Fever for the first time maybe like two years ago. I'd seen Staying Alive a million times. I saw that in the theater. I did not see that in the theater. My mom took me. I saw Saturday Night Fever um, at the PG-rated version of it at the drive-in with Yeah, that was, that was really weird that they made a PG version yeah. of it. Well, because that movie's pretty rough and the things that they do like to women and the treatment of women in that movie is not very pleasant. Well, the thing about it was I, since I saw it so late, I thought it was really boring. Like it's not cheesy fun, like staying alive. Cause no, t- not at all. Staying alive is like kind of campy, cheesy fun. And I don't know why it is, but I see staying alive on TV Way more than I've ever seen Saturday Night Fever. Really, the best TV. scenes to watch in in the original movie are obviously just the dancing scenes. Yeah, but the the movie. I mean, John Travolta is good in it. It's a good performance. It's you know a well, good dramatic it, story, but it's a classic film. Yeah, obviously. This, in fact, it's celebrating its 40th anniversary this year. Some of the other songs they did for the Saturday Night Fever soundtrack were "How Deep Is Your Love," "Night Fever," "More Than a Woman," which 
we always refer to it as Four Letter Woman. There's a boy that I went to art school with, and he thought that that song was called Four Letter Woman, and everyone made fun of him, but that stuck. We just kind of well, sing the song. Uh, their lyrics or their singing can easily be misheard. I remember on the, in the song Nights on Broadway, my sister and I thought they were saying something about hot sauce, which they weren't. But um, the song If I Can't Have You by Yvonne Elliman was also in this movie. Um, my middle school band, like, you know, orchestra kind of band, yeah. played How Deep Is Your Love. Oh, how did that turn out? Not good. And we played it all the time. You, th- you would have thought that... It would get better. better. It was just a kind of weird song for middle school kids to be playing. I was always like, why are we playing this song? That's a little questionable, yes. Yeah. Yeah, wasn't one of our finer moments. Speaking of soundtracks, we should also mention that the Bee Gees wrote the theme song to Grease, which is another one of the biggest selling soundtracks of all time. Yeah, literally like the next year from Saturday Night Fever, then then Grease came along. So it just kind of carried the momentum and kept Bee Gees into, you know, kept them in the, in the spotlight. They didn't perform the song. The song was performed by Frankie Valli, but they did. did I, is there, I wonder if there's a recording of Barry Gibbs singing Grease. Probably. But like I've never, I'd never like, heard it before. It may not have been released, yeah. but there was probably like a demo of it. So going back, though, before all of this, we should talk about one of their earlier hits, and that's Jive Talkin'. That's the first song that I ever heard by them. I remember that on the radio all the time. Yeah. When I was in elementary school, I I don't know what grade I was in, probably like third or fourth grade. In the back of our classroom, we had these private little study areas that... You know, it was like a desk, but it had real high walls. Yeah. And each one of them had a record player in it. And um, we would listen to, they were educational records, or you like listen to a story or something and Mm -hmm. then answer questions about it. But we had like a free period one day. And I knew that we were, I think it was winter and we, we wouldn't go outside for recess during the winter we would stay in the classroom and I brought my Jive Talk in 45 and so I could listen to it at in on the educational yeah. equipment and um, you know, you listen to it on headphones so when you when you plugged it in there was no sound that came out of the record player but I accidentally pulled the the headphones out and Everybody was like, oh, I love that song. And my teacher was really cool, and she let us play. And you had a little disco dance party. Yeah. Right there in the classroom.
you know, to go back to Saturday Night Fever for a moment, I didn't realize until researching this that the Bee Gees didn't even have any songs and they weren't involved in the process of the movie until after it was already shot and being edited. And that John Travolta, when he was dancing in those sequences in the movie, was dancing to things like Stevie Wonder and Boz Skaggs. Boz Skaggs? Who can dance to that? Maybe Mrs. Skaggs? I suppose. You know what? I can't even name a song by Boz Skaggs. Oh, I can. That Down Low. And then there was some song about JoJo. You know what? I think I have like Boz Skaggs' greatest hits, though, on my iTunes, because we got it from the library at some point. Yeah. Well, he did have some... Adult contemporary, but to dance to it—that's the thing. Yeah, he doesn't seem very danceable. No, it'd be like dancing to a Celine Dion song. Well, if you remix a Celine Dion song, you can definitely dance to it, like Misled. Boss Cags always had really stupid album covers. Like in, I think there was one, one album cover where he's like laying on some lady's legs and there's like smoke coming out of his mouth. And I was like, that's repellent. And I was like, you know, eight. Of course you were. <laughs> so, well, oh, they, do you want to comment on what I'm drinking? Dirty water. He's drinking dirty water. And I'm not even kidding. I had iced coffee and then I finished it and decided to have some water for the recording. And I didn't bother to rinse my glass out. So there was some coffee residue in it. So when I filled it up, it was nice and cloudy. And I just drink it. And for some reason, in Scott's kitchen right now, there's a spotlight on a dirty pan. The light over the stove is turned on. It's not a spotlight. It looks like a spotlight because there's no other lights on in the kitchen. So I walked in there and there's a skillet with like some old sausage marks in it with a big spotlight. Like, look, here's a dirty skillet that needs to be cleaned. Can I just say how delicious that breakfast sausage was that I consumed? So you've stated that you are a big fan of sausage. I am. There's no better way to start your day than with breakfast meat. What makes it breakfast sausage as opposed to like dinner sausage? Well, like I would say a sausage patty. Luncheon sausage. A sausage patty you could have in any meal of the day. But a sausage link, I picture that being connected intimately with breakfast. I don't eat sausage links. You don't like the casing. <gasps> That's very troublesome. I wonder what the Bee Gees like to eat for breakfast. I don't know. Well, unfortunately, there's only one surviving Bee Gee. Very good. Forever. Right. I was reading in my research that... Their younger brother, Andy Gibb, who had lots of hits on his own, was going to be part of the Bee Gees. So there were going to be four people in the Bee Gees, but then he had to die. So that kind of scrapped. I'm sure that wasn't planned. It was very sad. It was very sad. I always felt very bad for Victoria Principal, who was Andy's girlfriend. So he had some health issues. And some substance abuse issues. Yeah. Remember when he hosted Solid Gold with yes. Dionne Warwick? Oh. And all I can say is Xanadu would have been 500 times better had he been in it instead of that. Michael Beck, who is an Andy Gibb lookalike. Yeah. yeah. But he's not an Andy Gibb talent um, comparison. There's no comparison. I loved Andy Gibb. I had... Several of his albums. Well, let's play a little bit of Andy Gibb. Let's play his best song 
Well, that's debatable. Yeah, what do I, you think is his best song? I just want to be your everything. Oh no, Shadow Dancing. Shadow Dancing. Let's is play. Well, and I also I love Don't Throw It All Away. So which was it going to be? It's going to be Shadow Dancing. thing is about all those songs that are not BG songs that even when someone else sings them those songs are so BG's they're so well you can hear the BG's in the background I know but I mean it's like I, any song that Barry wrote for someone else it still sounds totally like well, this is just a BG song probably because he was also on all those songs remember when Andy Gibbs greatest hits came out we're looking at a picture of it right now I was so excited to have all his songs oh, yeah, on, CD. on CD. That is the worst album cover ever. It looks like something that like some middle school girl drew. It looks like something that you'd be like at Kings Island or some theme park, and there'd be a person that would you know do a sketch of you for fifteen dollars or something like that. <laughs> yeah, it's terrible. It is like one of the worst. Album covers ever. It's like, why didn't they just use a, a photograph of him? Well, I like the out al- the the cover. Yeah, the album cover for Shadow Dancing is much better. I had that album. In fact, I'm sure I still have it. I always preferred Andy Gibb over Sean Cassidy, but I like Sean Cassidy a lot too. Oh, I'm just seeing there's a Best of Andy Gibb Millennium Collection, 20th Century Masters. I'd like to get my hands on. I got iTunes that library. from the library. I don't think I have that in my iTunes. Well, I bet you're kicking yourself about now. No, but you'll do. Let me kick you. You need to come up with a better comeback when I say that. But that's funny. You're not funny. But it's funny. You're not funny. You're soaking in it. Why can't you treat me with the respect that I'm entitled to? Because you're not entitled to it. The way I would be treated by any stranger on the street. I find that most people probably ignore you. Yes. Something really distinctive about the Bee Gees is obviously Barry Gibbs' vocals. There's like his high-pitched kind of, I wouldn't call it shrill, but the high-pitched, you know, things that Jimmy Fallon kind of appropriated and turned into... A sketch, the Barry Gibb talk show on Saturday Night Live. It's that whole hey! kind of thing. And because their older songs didn't have that. And one of their producers, Arif Martin, 
suggested that Barry scream at the end of I forget which song it was. I, I saw it in some interview that I was watching on YouTube. And that's how he kind of invented that whole kind of shriek that's in so many of their songs. Yeah, it's like any song after a certain point, you could count on that, those falsetto little, like him free-forming and just kind of going along and... and. But then the other thing was his, like, falsetto, kind of very breathy. <laughs> and at the very beginning of one of Andy Gibbs' songs, Desire, which Andy Gibb, basically, his songs were just BG songs that he... Was the lead singer on. Right. Barry Gibb had something to do with, you know, I think most of his songs. But the beginning of Desire really shows that breathy thing that... And I, when I was listening to all the songs before we re- started recording this episode, I was, like, laughing so hard because all I could think of was Jimmy Fallon doing it. So right here we're going to hear a little snippet of Desire from Andy Gibb. That's one of those things that I think that any artist that records a song that Barry Gibb wrote, they're going to want to appropriate that sound. I think it's unavoidable if they probably heard like a guiding track that Barry has laid down first, because one of the most interesting and amusing songs. It's hilarious. Written by the Bee Gees or Barry Gibb is performed by Wayne Wayne Newton. Newton. And it's called You Stepped Into My Life. Now, this song. Wasn't it recorded originally for Saturday Night Fever. Yes, uh, read that in the in the wiki notes for that, and the, not uh, Wayne Newton's version. No, 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 the Bee Gees version, and then also they released it on their double album, uh, Bee Gees Greatest Hits, um, back in the late seventies. But then years later, we got a compilation called Behind Closed Doors. It was like yeah. um, men's uh, like male vocalist uh, ballads and stuff like that. Just kind of like a cheesy ballads collection. It's wonderful. Anyway, this Wayne Newton song is on there. You stepped into my life and he sounds like he's trying to be Barry Gibbs so hard. Well, and most singers like and we'll go through this list. We're going to play several songs or several parts of songs from other artists that Barry Gibb wrote songs for and or produced. But they try to bring their own thing to the table. But Wayne Newton doesn't. Nope. He he goes right for the Bee Gees. And it's like the first time we heard it, we were laughing so hard because Wayne Newton is trying to be Barry Gibb. And let's hear it.
That's the most <laughs> wonderful, horrible song I've ever heard. <laughs> and I, I wonder if he does that in his Vegas show. I would love to hear him perform that <laughs> again. I mean, the Bee Gees version is great. It sounds like a Bee Gees song. And it's well, so does Wayne Newton. <laughs> yeah, well, that's a little bit of a problem when it's Wayne Newton. Wayne Newton. You know, I loved him in Vegas Vacation. I loved him on an episode of Roseanne. I also liked him in, uh, remember when he was that crooked televangelist in that James Bond movie, License to Kill? Yeah. Yeah. He was like part of a drug ring and he was like getting people to to put money in for for drug deals or something like that. When I was in middle school, we watched some movie of a horse being born. Oh, yeah. And Wayne Newton was in the movie as like the narrator, but I think he he did it when he was very very young. He was a teenager, and the kids in my class were like, "Is that a boy or a girl?" Like we literally did not know if it was a boy or a girl. And our science teacher, Mrs. Voiles, remember Mrs. Voiles? Oh, yeah. She was awesome. Um, I loved her shoes. Remember her sneakers? That oh, she, she wore? had the coolest outfits. She had this the little scarves. She had this dress, and she wore these pantyhose with it. And but the panty—it was like a purple, a dark purple dress. And then she had these dark black pantyhose that had purple racing stripes up the sides, like racing stripes on pantyhose. Yeah, and. She was not the most feminine woman. She was she was a lot like Ann B. Davis. Kind of. Yeah, that's fair. But, but she was just like, it's Wayne Newton. Like, and explained to us who Wayne Newton was. And we're like, oh, we know who Wayne Newton is. But you, that was Wayne Newton as a child. Do you know that I didn't know for many years that Don Shane was not performed by a girl? Oh, well, I can see that. Well, like we couldn't tell he was a boy or a girl when he was young. Yeah, because so. he had just one of those voices. He sounded like, I don't know, like a... Leslie Gore or something like that, like that kind of a sound when he was like a teen singer. I need to look up that horse movie on YouTube to see if it's there. I just recall it was really weird and like the horse looked blue when it came out. (laughs) But they showed everything. Like Madonna from Truth or Dare. She's like, it's fucking blue. (laughs) But she wasn't talking about a horse being blue. No, she wasn't. Whereas we're getting into the end of the 70s, we can't talk about the Bee Gees and not talk about one of my favorite flop disaster movies of all time, well, which is Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band. You'll have to talk about it with yourself because I have never seen it. Ugh. It looks d- real dumb. It's real awesome and real dumb. It just looked horrible. I just didn't care about it's it. It's a very high-concept fantasy movie that loosely takes the songs from Sgt. Pepper's album by the Beatles with some other songs that they did from that period and puts them into like a narrative form that tells the story of a band that's Peter Frampton with his bandmates, which are three brothers played by the Bee Gees, and their rise to fame and like the trials and tribulations they face along the way in becoming famous. And so they were actors in it? Oh, they acted in it. Oh, yes. I don't, I'm not saying if they're good. It sounds like the Kiss meets the Phantom of the Park. It's like a big budget kind of Kiss meets a Phantom of the Park movie. And it is coming out on Blu ray in September, and I have pre ordered it, and I cannot wait to get it. 
Love. I still don't want to see it. Love. You can have my DVD of it. I don't it. Want You can it. watch it right now. We can watch I it right now. I don't want to. I just... You know I'm not the biggest Beatles fan. No, but... That's I'm, probably part of the reason why... Or remember when that came out, there was such a push. They tried to shove that movie and soundtrack hard onto the public, and it just backfired. I And, like, Robin Gibb, actually, he had a top 15, like a number 15 song for Oh Darling, which it charted as a single from I it. I don't remember it. But I remember I had the 8-track tape of it, and I had the vinyl. Speaking of Robin Gibb, he did have his own top 40 hit in the 80s. Ugh. Which I just made Scott watch the video before we started. It's for a song called Boys Do Fall in Love. And if you haven't seen the video, I don't think they played it on MTV because I had never seen it before. I was familiar with the song because it was in the top 40 for a couple weeks. I used to listen to Casey Kasem's American Top 40 every week. And I had a notebook of all the songs. Each week had like a page in the notebook. I listened to the whole thing all four hours and I wrote down the names of all the songs. You basically kept a diary of all the top yeah, 40 songs for, for how long? A couple years. And there were little arrows of the songs were moving up or down the chart. I think it was when I discovered you can go to the store and buy Billboard magazine that I kind of stopped <laughs> doing that. But it was real expensive. Billboard magazine was like six or seven dollars. I think Now it's like twelve dollars, I think. Duran Duran were on the cover of Billboard magazine a couple years ago when their latest album came out and you can't find billboard magazine in bookstores anymore the way you used to be able to. And I had to order it from billboard. I think I had to pay like it was under $20, but Still. with shipping and everything, it was kind of when I think about like, Oh, you probably could have lived without that, but Oh, yeah. well, whatever. It's Duran Duran. So it's understandable. Yeah. Oh, what if Duran Duran ever worked with Barry Gibb? That would be a match made in heaven. <laughs> what if Madonna ever worked with Barry Gibb? I would love that. Well, I wonder if she would have, like, if she would have come around earlier. Yeah. You know, before she became famous. Because he worked with several female vocalists. Well, that, and we should get into some of these people right, that he worked that with. We already mentioned Yvonne Elliman. And he did an album with Barbra Streisand that we'll talk about Ugh. later. But one of his biggest songs was a song called Emotion that the Bee Gees had recorded, but it was done by Samantha Sang, and she had a really huge hit here in America. That played all it. the time, I remember, on our radio station, WIBC. That was one of my first 45s that I got. Yeah, I had the 45 of that as well. Good 
it's funny and no disrespect to Barry Gibb, but it's like most songwriters <laughs> or producers will, you know, feature an artist and try to promote them. But it's like when he is involved in a song that he's a part of, it's like it parts of it become his song. Well, you, you can't know? hear Samantha in the chorus. It's it's all him. I mean, I'm sure she's there, but yeah, his voice is very overpowering. It's just it's amusing. I mean, but I mean, the songs are better for it, so it's OK. Yeah. Now, another song that he produced that we love is Heartbreaker by Dion Warwick. One of the worst videos ever made. I love that video. It's a video we like to make fun of. She doesn't move around a whole lot. She just looks like she's performing at like a smorgasbord or something. It's just she's just wandering around, taking her time. She's no particular. She's hurt. not even wandering too much. She just the only movement is when she walks down some stairs and it almost looks like she's going to trip on her microphone cord. It reminds me of a stage like on a cruise ship. And then she tries to move down to engage in the audience. And it's so funny to see her move because she's wrangling a cord. Which well, and, and also in the video, trying to lip sync. Which moving and lip syncing is the problem. And the chord. She's got yeah, a chord. And that chord. She's got to wind it up as she walks and remember to sing to the lyrics on, on time. It doesn't quite work out. But the song. The song is wonderful. It just brings back childhood memories. can also hear that Dion Dion is doing the same kind of Barry Gibb um, high notes and the kind of singing along. I don't know. It, it, it sounds like a Dion Warwick song as opposed to what Wayne Newton was doing. That's true. This was kind of in the part of the Bee Gees career when they weren't really having a whole lot of hits and they were doing other things and Barry Gibb like I said before, had done a whole bunch of songs for other people. Well, it had great success, like in adult contemporary right. charts. So one of the most popular songs of the 80s was Islands in the Stream by Kenny Rogers and Dolly Parton, Ugh. which is a Barry Gibb song. So his touch went into country, not only just, you know, pop stuff although this is like kind of i would consider this song more pop than country it's pretty much pure pop but i mean it's tinged with country since it's dolly parton well two of the biggest country superstars yeah it's one of my favorite songs mine too of the 80s i love it our friend annette knows how to play it on the piano well maybe i could sing it while she plays the piano are you gonna do both parts 
Yes. <laughs> well, I think we need to hear Islands of the Stream right now. to me that 
I love Dolly Parton so much. That is one of the highlights of her career is doing that song. I listen to her just about every day. At least one song. It can be any song. I prefer Jolene. Oh, I have so many favorites. I, I will, But we'll talk about that on our Dolly Parton episode. Well, you're just one promo after another for upcoming episodes. What else did I say that we were doing? Um, a country episode. Oh, I may have been just kind of joking about that. <laughs> I don't know that our, that, our, that our listeners would appreciate that. Well, we could get some new listeners with that. People that do appreciate country. I wonder if there's many country podcasts. I would think that there are. There's so many podcasts out in the world. There's something for everyone, I'm sure. So there's one more song that we need to discuss that Barry Gibb did. That actually, this is the one song that he did that doesn't sound like a Barry Gibb song. And that's because Michael Jackson was involved too. And it's a song called Eaten Alive by Diana Ross. And it is the jam. This is one of the best songs of the 80s. And I can't believe that it wasn't more popular. There was another song on the album called Chain Reaction. That That was was, great also. That was a big hit. But it's this track, Eaten Alive, which is the best thing ever. And you can hear Barry in the background doing just kind of like his but it's kind of yeah it's like him and Michael Jackson because Michael Jackson also has unique you know signature sounds like that that he does so it's like a mix of both of them plus of course the boss Miss Ross so here's Eatin' Alive
that happens to be the jam. Hell yes, it's the jam. So let's talk about the album that Barry Gibb did with Babs Streisand. One of the best albums of her career, Guilty. There were three big hits from this album. Two of them were duets with Barry Gibb, What Kind of Fool and Guilty. And then there's your absolute all-time favorite song, Woman in Love. I love Woman in Love. <laughs> well, we're going to play it. You sound so excited. Oh, I like it, too. No, <laughs> this is like one of the best pop songs of all time. And it's the best song that Barbra Streisand ever recorded. I'm sure lots of people would probably disagree, but... It was one of her biggest hits that she ever had. So. Right. Here it is.
It's a right she defends. Over and over again. What'll, What'll I, I do? do? Well, What'll I do? What will I do? Well? Well, how about we get this back to the actual Bee Gees proper? Well, this is all part of, the, of their career. Well, Barry Gibbs' career. We should talk about the sequel to Saturday Night Fever, Staying Alive, which was directed by Sylvester Stallone. And starring one of your favorite people, Fanola Hughes. <laughs> and Cynthia Rhodes. Yes. Don't forget Cynthia Rhodes. Of Anna, Anna, Anna Motion. Yeah. And Dirty Dancing. Dirty Dancing and Runaway starring Flashdance. Jean. She was like Simmons. the, I think she was the dance double. She was Teen Attack in Flashdance. Oh, okay. Yeah, she did the manhunt music. Or I'm performance. going on the manhunt. Yes. <laughs> so, Bee Gees really weren't into this whole staying alive thing. And they really did not love the songs that they did for it. In fact, they had a hit single, a top 40 single from the soundtrack called The Woman in You, which it's not on any of their albums that I know of. Like, I had to get it from the Staying Alive soundtrack. Which, of course, you have a copy of. Oh, yes. And there's a video for it. They made a video, and it was on... VH1. I remember it was on some video disc compilation or something that I rented years ago. It's I'm kind of a sure. funny video. Yeah. Where they're all they're all playing like all three Bee Gees are in their own little vignettes and they're playing like blue collar kinds of workers and Barry Gibb, I don't know what he was doing, but he looks like he just wandered off the set of some like gay leather show or so, I don't know. And I then, haven't seen the video in forever. And then uh, Maurice is a cab driver and I forget what Robin was doing in it, but it's kind of a funny video that you can look up on YouTube, but I think we should hear part of that right now because it was one of the last top 40 hits they had for quite some time.
several years went by without the Bee Gees recording anything. They returned in 1987 with the album ESP, which was a really huge hit all around the world, but not here in America. I was so excited. I remember I went to the records, the video and record store that you worked at and bought this as soon as it came out and loved this album. It was also the, one of the very first cassette maxi singles ever released was for the song You Win Again, which was the giant hit. So good. And radio stations just refused to play Bee Gees. And it had a really good music video, too. Yep. But it was a big hit everywhere else. But they still had that disco label attached to them. And it just shows you how close-minded people in the radio industry could be. Here in America, there was really no rhyme or reason as to as to what things would become hits like things that you would think would have been a big hit that like each time you break my heart by Nick Cayman. Exactly. Um, In other parts of the world, there weren't hits here. This was around the time that MTV had less of an impact on what was a hit record. Yeah, because in the early days of MTV, if they played something a lot, it became a hit. But MTV wouldn't even play this video. And this was around the time of VH1. Yeah, that's where I remember seeing it was yeah. VH1 all the time. But I, yeah, I remember you love the song. But talking about the record store that I worked in, after You Win Again had been out for a while, and this woman came into the store, and she was an older woman, probably in her 40s, maybe 50s. Huge Bee Gees fan, obviously. And I had never seen her before, which the store that I worked at was in a little town. So you knew everyone. I knew everyone. If if you had a VCR, I knew you probably. But she didn't come in to buy anything. She just came in to complain as to why this song was not a hit. And it was like she was like all yelling at me. And, you know, why isn't this song being played. Why aren't people buying this? It's such a great song. People need to know about this. And why is this not happening? As though you're the marketing team for Warner Brothers. Well, it was being marketed. It just was falling on deaf ears. Yeah. And I told her, I I said, I just work in a record store. I can't force people to buy things. Well, I think if more people knew about it, then... They would buy it. And I'm like, well, we can only do so much. And also, we're in a real little town here. I don't think, you know, the album sales, even if we did sell a lot of it, it wasn't going to have an effect on a chart on a chart in in America. She was just so upset that you win again was not a hit. And we're going to play a clip of it now, and we will see what a crime it was that this song was not a hit in the United States. Here's You Win Again. I sound so hateful. Yeah, well... Everybody needs 
Thank you, Robin Gibb. Oh, it's so sad that he died. I know. Well, it's sad that Maurice died and... Yeah. Andy buries on his own. Barry released an album earlier this year, and I have to admit, I have not investigated it at all. Probably about a, a month or two ago, there was a tribute to the Bee Gees. That was so good. Yeah, it was really good. And our favorite song by the Bee Gees, which we are going to get to uh, at the very end of this podcast, was performed on it. So I was happy to see that. It's kind of amazing that you and I agree on what our favorite That Bee Gees. is rare. Yes. There's one more song before we get to that. One more song that we need to discuss. And this was, I think, I believe this was their last hit that they had. And it was a hit here in America. At least. Shockingly enough. Yes. And it's called One. From the album One. Before we finish our discussion of the Bee Gees, as promised, we need to get to the song that we both agree is their best song. It's from 1979. It was a number one hit here in America, and it's called Tragedy. Tragedy. There was a TV special on at the time that I can't remember exactly what it was, but I remember it showed them in the recording studio recording tragedy and when it got to that explosion part you would, you would think that they would just you know have a sound effect already recorded or something but no Barry had to do it himself Barry just went up to the microphone and put his hands on his mouth and made this explosion sound and that's what you hear in the song and it's not tragic it's wonderful <laughs> and it's our favorite song from them there was a place that my grandparents used to take my sister and I when we would go down to the country to see them. It was, I believe it was in, it was either in Shelbyville, Indiana, or maybe it was in Rushville, but it was a a restaurant called Just Right. And it was a fast food restaurant and they had a jukebox. And my sister and I played tragedy like five times over and over and we were like driving everyone crazy 
in the restaurant. I don't know what's wrong with them. I could listen to that song on a loop. <laughs> Speaking of tragedy, I hear lots of police sirens and stuff going by. Coming to get you.
So do you have any new releases that you got this week that you would like to discuss? Well, I got all kinds of things for my birthday, but I don't know that they are new releases. Well, one of them was I received the Blu-ray of The Lonely Lady, a Piazzadora movie. That's very fun. That had never been out on VHS or Laserdisc or DVD here in America. That's a crime. And it's a real cheesy, campy movie. That I had seen it on TV years ago, heavily edited, I'm sure. It's pretty famous for a scene where um, a very young Ray Liotta basically screws Piazzadora with a garden hose. Well, that's nice. Rapes her. Yeah. She's a high school student. So, But it's about a woman, Piazzadora, who plays a writer... And it starts out with her being in high school mm-hmm. and she, like after graduation, she falls in love with an older man and gets married and it's just about her rise in the field or in the world of writing. Like Daniel Steele or Jackie Collins. No, not like that, but... Yeah, so it's just a fun movie. There's there's new, well, I mean, fun if you like, you know. Bad movies. Being raped by a garden hose. Well. But, and you can tell, too, when they, they show the garden hose, when they show the nozzle on the end of it, you know what's going to happen. Because I've never seen any kind of nozzle like that in any garden supply store. I'll have to borrow that. I have not seen yeah. this. But Ray Liotta is basically playing the same part that he played in Something Wild. Well, something wild came after. Yeah, yeah, but it's a precursor. But he's basically playing the same part, which is what I just said. I get it. We all get it. <laughs> Don't try to correct me ever, because every time you've ever corrected me, you've been wrong. I'll correct you if I want to, pig fucker. God, <laughs> you you people listening to this, you think that. I'm the mean one. But when the microphone goes off, Scott says the most horrible things to me that I would never repeat. I don't know what you're talking about. Everyone else that out in post. Everyone else knows what you're talking about or what I'm talking about. <laughs> they know um, the score. Anyway, don't let his fake demeanor mislead you. I don't know what you're talking about. I'm so, so sure. So other things I got for my birthday. It's I, my birthday. It's my birthday. It's my birthday. I got the Partridge Family board game. Which I had as a child. That's very important. And I, I think my mom must have sold it in a garage sale or something. Because I have all the other board games that my sister and I used to play with, but I didn't have that one. That was one of my favorites. And I got some Lego gift cards, some Lego books. I got a really neat old vintage Indiana plate that goes on the wall. I put it up in the kitchen. I was going to ask you if you put it up yet. I did. Um, what else did I get? Well, you got the biggest coup of all time. Oh, the new Lego set. But no, the no. My, well, my the, main, Le- the Lego thing is fantastic, but the big surprise that you had no idea. Yeah, my main surprise thing was the Christy McNichol doll. Still in its packaging. The Buddy action figure. The Buddy. It's not an action figure. Well, it's a doll. Yeah. Yeah. And it's never been played with. And it's in fantastic condition. I thought you were going to cry. I did. I was like, 
like I was completely speechless. But then, well, and one of the uh, things you got me was uh, the album of the Reverend Blanche Fiscus, which did I tell that story on here? I don't know if you've mentioned Blanche or not. I think you. I feel like you must have. Okay, Blanche Fiscus was a local woman. <laughs> she was a uh, evangelist, televangelist. Televangelist that had a show on here in Indianapolis like, during the 70s. It was and extremely 80s. local. And it was extremely entertaining. She was like, she looked like she could have been like the B-52's grandma. But um, she had like a beehive. And anyway, I just was looking around at stuff on Amazon one day. And I saw that there was like a private seller that had an album of hers and I just freaked out. And anyway, you got, I ordered it and got it. Now I was disappointed that her backup band from when she was on TV, the gospel megatones. Yeah. Do are not credited on the album. Maybe Maybe they came later later. and the album looks like it's from the sixties. There's no year on it. I I've looked everywhere, but yeah, it does look like it's in late sixties, but she's, Got her big beehive round hairdo, and she's holding a, a book, presumably the Bible. I'm sure it's a good book. Oh, Probably I, a very good book. I haven't listened to any of it yet, because every time I go to my record player, Elliot is standing on it. So, Well, maybe you need to invite him to leave the room and shut the door. Well, I just let him do what he wants to do. What is your new release of the week? Well, my new release is something that I knew was on Blu-ray in other countries, but not here. And I just happened to look this particular movie up on Amazon, and it was available as a region-free Blu-ray, which means it'll play in any Blu-ray player no matter what country you're in. And it is the 1984 horror classic from Troma Films, Splatter University. And I almost crapped twice and died when I saw that that was available to get here. Yeah, you didn't even tell me that you had ordered it. No, I wanted to wait and surprise you and just send you the picture of it once I got it. So it doesn't look very good. I mean, it was filmed on 16 millimeter, which is not even, you know, not full 35. It was shot on like home movie film practically. Cheap. But they scanned it in high quality and it's the best the movie's ever going to look. And I'm just really happy to have it on Blu-ray at last. I'm glad that you're happy about something. Well, I'm also happy about something that is going to be returning to the airwaves this week after taking a week off. And it is the new Twin Peaks on Showtime. Well, that's nice. So on our last episode with Corey, we did not discuss the previous week's episode of Twin Peaks. So now we're going to discuss it very briefly. Very briefly, because it, it was, was the best thing the ever worst on TV. hour of it television I've it ever was one seen of the best things ever in my made. whole life. End it of was goddamn story. Student it was film it level was so bullshit. artistic and fantastic. Crap. And it was just mind blowing and it almost made me want to cry. It was so good. Vomitrocious. And I loved it. And ridiculousness, I watched it five times since it was on. Waste of time. And everyone should see it. Crud. It was great. As you can see, we a, have differing opinions. It was absurd. It was insulting. I'm insulted. And I'm just kind of over it now. The whole thing, the whole Twin Peaks thing. I'm just not interested. It's I feel like it's been a waste of time. Well, there's a new interview with the star Kyle McLaughlin. And the headline on the story is uh, Kyle McLaughlin swears the new Twin Peaks will make sense. Well, and you know why they have 
put that out. It's because people are tuning out in droves. People are canceling their Showtime subscriptions. I'm not just saying this. This is a fact. You can go look it up. There are so many people, like diehard Twin Peaks fans, that are just shrugging their shoulders and saying, this isn't what I was expecting. And I I think anybody that follows David Lynch's career knows that you never know what to expect. So maybe their expectations were too high. I believe expecting to be entertained by something, especially when you're, when you have to pay for it. I don't think that's an unreasonable expectation. I think that what was done in this last episode is so outside of the norm of anything that's on television. I think it was a huge risk. It didn't belong on television. I am happy that it was on television. I, of course, want to see more follow through with the characters and the story. Are you happy that that people... I can't control that. I'm not worried about them. Aren't enjoying it and are disappointed? It's You know what? You can't ask someone... During a movie that's three hours long, fifteen minutes oh, in, I wouldn't. I wouldn't. Are you go. enjoying? Like, is this a good movie? I like, wouldn't go to a movie that's three hours long. Well, you're watching a movie that's eighteen hours long, Ugh. and this is just we're not even at the halfway point of this. We're Fuck. almost to it. So there's so much more, so many more possibilities. We have no idea what's what's going to happen, and that's why I'm so excited with this because it seemed like things were picking up. There was so much narrative and so much momentum in the previous episode. And then you're like, okay, what's going to happen next? Here's what's going to happen. I'm going to drop a bomb on everything, literally. And I just think that that was a really bold storytelling choice. And I thought visually and sonically it was spectacular. And I know you're, Kevin's rolling his eyes. And I just thought it was fantastic. Fantastic. Well, we're all entitled to our own opinions. Clearly, because mine is correct. Yours when it is comes just to about Twin Peaks. Stupid. Stupid. I'm so stupid. sure. I'm so sure. Just, uh, I mean, I'm going to finish watching. I because, know it's not for everyone. Because, you know, I have to finish everything that I start. But I just hope they in the last half of the series that they kind of bring some of the older characters that we care about and want to see that's, that's my only hope But I'm, I, at this point I'm not expecting to see anyone I care about. We'll see. And the thing about it that really irritates me is that the marketing for the show, even before it started, Featured only characters that well, we know and like love. the Entertainment Weekly. Yeah, it specifically showed you know the classic characters in even like their costumes and stuff, yeah. kind of sort of false advertising. So, well, we don't know because it's not finished with yet. No, but I just have a feeling that when it is finished, that I'll be able to say, "Well, big fat waste of time." Well, I think you're wrong. Thank you, Grace. I think you're wrong. And if it weren't for you, I wouldn't be watching it. So Well, clearly. You wouldn't have even finished the original show if it weren't for me. Oh, no. I remember I liked you better before Twin Peaks. That was when things got so good. You were a nicer person. Was I ever nice? You, yeah. Yeah, it just, I just liked you better then. Well, that was 27 years ago, so those days are over. 
way over, apparently. Do you think you could, like, for a month, do you think that you could just revert back to that way? Like, pretend that you are that person. I really don't think that's possible. In this year. No. This is what would have happened if Twin Peaks didn't exist. This is who I would be. And just act like that for a month, and then maybe it'll be so good that you'll stick with it. I doubt it. Fuck you, Leslie! I'd like to remove Leslie's name and insert David Lynch's. Oh, that's not very nice. Well, I just call him like I see him. Mm-hmm. Do we have anything else for this week? I think that's going to do it. I think you're right. Well, you can find me on Twitter. Or in front of a television playing crummy TV shows. That's not nice. You be nice. No, you be nice. No, you fuck you. No, you fuck you. You fuck you. You can find me on Twitter at twitter.com slash I'm so sure podcast. You can find me at www.twinpeaks is just about stupid.com. Dot shove it. Fuck you, Leslie.com. <laughs> you can find me at facebook.com slash I'm so sure podcast. And I'm Kevin is a place on earth on Instagram. You can hashtag. I'm so sure podcast. You can send us a message, ask for our address, send us a postcard, preferably one that is not from Snoqualmie. Oh, I would love to get a postcard from Snoqualmie, Washington. Wow. Love to love to. Didn't you buy some when you were there? I have a series of items from there. Yes. And I'd like to make a return. Then you don't need any more. You don't need it. Yeah. That's your expression, not mine. You don't need it. But you say it as if you appropriated it from me. I did. You don't need it. I can't think of anything else I want to talk about this week. I think we did a very thorough discussion on the Bee Gees. I hope fans of the Bee Gees and Barry Gibb and all the other artists we talked about are pleased. I hope that... Anyone listening to this maybe decides, I'd like to go buy some BG songs from iTunes. You should. Everyone should at least have like one of their greatest hits albums because there's not a stinker in the bunch. They're all good. Especially you need tragedy. Yeah. Well, that goes without saying. I think we already said it a number of times. Thank you for listening. Until next time, I'm Scott. I'm Kevin. I'm so sure. Bye. So sure.